everybody said amen. All right, we'll release the children to Super Kids. I'm glad I saw you standing there, Angie. I would have just gone in the street. Praise God. Well, if you've been um, following the series, if you haven't, I do encourage you to really do encourage you to go back at least to the podcast and, and try to follow it. I've learned a lot of thank you, Al, Gabby. Let's give them a hand clap as they leave. Just get that. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Once again, that couple just drives all the way from Laredo just to cover, you know, um, Kathy and Laura on vacation. So thank God for our campuses. And I always say it's not, we're not different churches. We're one church in various locations, right? So even our online church, I was looking, we have big attendance this morning. There's upwards, last time I checked, there's about 20-something people online. So you guys are the upper tier. You're welcome. Welcome. Glad you're here. You're just a big part of it like anybody else. So let's get right into it. So the idea of being spiritual, and trust me, I've been doing a lot of soul searching even in my own life, looking at some of the things that I teach. Because I don't want to be that guy, right? You know, tell you what to do, but do something different. And we're all on this quest, you know, and I think one of the dangers that I've discovered in trying to be spiritual is that we've been taught a lot of wrong ideas about what spirituality is, and it wasn't based on the word. It was based on, a lot of times, just control. You know, a lot of people would just want to control people. And I've, you know, I say this kind of ironically sad, but there's churches all over the world this morning that will be filled with people that are all scared to be there. I mean, they're there because of fear. They're not there because they want to find Jesus. They're not there because they look for grace. They're there because somebody told them and taught them that if you don't go to church, God's going to get after you, and he's going to cause a lot of headaches for you. So we have a lot of people trying to worship a God that they're scared of. Are you all still here this morning? And that's a, that's, that was kind of my reality. You know, nobody ever taught me that, but it came across through... Again, my parents did the best they can. I had wonderful parents. But, you know, I heard more than once. In Spanish, it sounds different than in English. But Diosito te va a castigar. Anybody ever heard that? All right, so we're in, the, in English. That would be, you better watch out because God's going to punish you, you know. And, and pretty soon you live in this life. You know, you create your, your life around the idea that everything you do is wrong. And if everything you do is going to bring consequences of God's judgment on you and Pretty soon you don't know what to do, you don't know what the, the, you know, the do list and the don't list is, and I've had people over the years come and say, Pastor, just tell me what the list of sins are, and I'm like, there's no, there's no list of sins, because you'll find something that's not on the list and do that. Amen? So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about, we're really going to try to define that little, nasty little word called sin. You know, what is it, really, what is it from the Bible perspective? Because we've been told a lot of things are sin, because here's the thing, what is the one thing that will keep you from being spiritual? Think about it. It's sin, right? I mean, that's the one thing that we, you know, if you say, this is spirituality, the exact opposite would be to be a full sinner, right? I mean, there's, you know, and so as Christians, we have to navigate this idea of sin, because for some people, it might mean something else. You know, you, go, you can go through cultures, you know, culturally speaking, there are places in the world, even today, where, for example, native people, they found native people on the southern Pacific Islands that, you know, they don't, they don't wear clothes because they don't have a Walmart to go buy clothes. And they go to church, 
That would be awkward, right? In their way they, they dress, which is barely. Well, in some cultures, that would be, oh, that's so sinful, that's so wrong. But in their culture, they just grew up like that, right? So they don't see it. So one thing could be sin to another person. Another person could be sin to another thing. So I think it has to be defined as we pursue this series. And, and I, I was thinking, you know, we'd be done today, but I don't know. As I was praying during praise and worship, I'm like, well, Lord, I'm not going to rush it because that's the worst thing you can do with any series. And I want the Holy Spirit to really help us get through this. So let's go right into it. And um, I don't know where my clicker is, RJ. Just go with me. Let's go to the first one. Let's define, and, and I want to bring everybody kind of up to date because I know I missed, you know, I wasn't here last week. And So the, before I read that comment, the, the core, or let me put the basis of this series was really based around what the fruit of the Spirit is and helping t- you to develop, and hopefully some of you have taken it seriously to find areas of your life where you need maybe more temperance, more love, more joy, more peace, more something, and say, that's the area I need to work on. Well, that, of course, that really is the core of being spiritual. Spirituality is not something you tell yourself, so I, oh, I'm spiritual. Let me tell you who's going to define it. People around you are going to define how spiritual you are. And they're not going to say you're really spiritual. They might say things like, wow, you've really changed. Amen? Well, I used to know you when you were like, you know, this horrible person. Now you, you have compassion and love and forgiveness and a tenderness about you that you, well, that's, what are, what are people saying? They don't know really what they're saying, but it translates to you, you're spiritual. Because spirituality has to be able to be seen. It's not about how much clothes you have, and it's not about, you know, if you have this or you have that. You know, it's, you know, what kind of, you know, if you have a big Bible with your name stamped on it and all these kind of stuff, or how much you even go to church. You know, there's a lot of people that spend their whole life in church, um, grow up in church, come to church. They're there at the time the church door opens, but when, when they interact in the real world, they're angry people, they are just stirring up stuff. Anybody know people like that, you know, and you're like, wow, you got this one. You know, you're always in church, but every time you're outside, you just seem to have problems with everybody. So, you know, coming to church doesn't make you spiritual. Like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You know, it's pretty simple. You know, if you keep going to McDonald's, you might look like a hamburger, but you're still not a hamburger, you know. And I think that's the concept, that people look at church like that's my spiritual moment. You know, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to be spiritual. But as soon as you leave, you know, before you get to the car in the parking lot, you've already turned that off. And you act like it's just, you know, you wait till next Sunday, and then you become spiritual again. And I don't think that's what it is. Spirituality is, is an everyday thing, and it's also something that has to be developed every day. Because every day comes, you know, Jesus said every, every day comes with its own evil. And there's all, you know, there's hundreds of things that could cause you to walk what we call the flesh and letting the flesh. So... We need to define all these things, and I just came up with a very simple statement to help you define this. simply means spirituality involves a recognition of a feeling or a sense of belief that there is something greater than myself. You know, spirituality starts, you know, obviously we've talked about developing the fruit of the Spirit. That is huge. That's something we're going to be on a quest till Jesus comes. Trust me, you're never going to have it. You're not going to wake up one day and say, got it, you know. You just work on it, and you work on it, and, and you never stop working. But, you know, spirituality starts that there's something bigger. Anybody? Amen? There's something else. I don't think, you know, when we die, somebody just turns the lights off. I just, you know, and every culture through history, and I've said this almost every time I've introduced a series, 
you know, atheism is kind of a newer thing, meaning newer thing, it's been around, you know, maybe for 150 years, it's been around forever, but I'm just saying it got formatted into a, basically it's a religion, you know, they can call it whatever, you know, atheism is a religion and science is their god. And they'll, they'll go out on things in absolute complete faith in their science that has no basis and no facts and they can't prove any of it, but they, they choose to believe it with a passion, right? But atheism, like I said, it's some kind of a newer thing, you know, as far as it got, you know, probably the late 1800s when very smart people thought they were so smart that they decided God wasn't real. Well, you know what the Bible says about that? It says, a fool says there is no God. Amen? So right off the bat, they're tagged as fools. But the point of it is that every culture, every culture, other than that, you know, other than the atheism, even if they were worshiping the wrong things, you know, I grew up in central Mexico. I had massive, I'm talking massive pyramids one block from my house. You know, the, the, the biggest pyramid in the world by circumference is in Cholula, Mexico, and that's one block from my house, you know, and, and they were building these, you know, huge monuments and pyramids because they were seeking spirituality and they were very bloody and very demonic, if you want to call it. But nonetheless, every culture through history, through tribes from the Middle East to the Asian cultures to the, you know, native people in America to the natives from other cultures, island people, everyone was looking for something out there. They didn't believe that this was it. And the reason it's there is because God plants that in every heart. Now you can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can educate yourself to the point where you say, well, I don't believe in God because my science tells me that there is no God. But even that science, if you track what they believe, it takes a lot of faith to believe what they believe. But my point is, every person other than people that got educated to a point where they say, I don't believe you know, in creation, I don't believe there's a supreme being, everyone has in their heart planted, um, in Ecclesiastes it says God has planted eternity in your heart. You see, we know deep down inside, if you let it come up, that there's something else out there. You, know, you can't preach that, you can't teach that to people. It's just a sense, and that's the second part, it's something more to being human than the sensory experience. You know, there's something more than just our everyday life. How many agree with that statement? There's a little something deeper. There's little things. And then, as, of course, if we subscribe to Christianity, and we didn't subscribe to Christianity as a religion, we found out that this was a real-life relationship. And my family, I can't speak for you, but I can speak for some of you because I know your story, but we've experienced so many, if I could say this, supernatural experiences, meaning super above natural. That's all it means. It doesn't mean ghosts and goblins and, <laughs> you know, it means there's a natural realm and then there's a superior realm. And my family, my wife sits here experiencing healing miracles. My granddaughter, and you've heard all the stories. I'm not going to go through that. But we experience that almost on a daily basis. These little things in our life where you say and you know in your heart, you say, you know what? That could have not just happened. Right, Joe? That could have, I mean, that did not just happen. Something else was involved for that dynamic to take place in my life. Well, we know what that is. His name is Jesus. Amen? So we've discovered that there is a being out there that we know as, you know, Jesus. His real name, natural world name was Yeshua, which was his Jewish name. And he has a heavenly father that we know as, you know, Jehovah, which his Jewish name was Yahed 
Vodhid, not that it matters, you know, we translate some of these words to relate, and because of their existence, and then we got the Holy Spirit that is our helper, and he guides us, and he tells us what things to do and what things not to do, and helps us make decisions if we give him a place. So you have the, the triune being, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, now involved, not just because of religion, actually not because any religion, because you made a choice to have him in your life. Are you still here? So that kind of does away with the idea that I can't just be spiritual on Sunday because this triune being, you know, for example, being married, I'm not just married on Sunday. Amen, ladies, amen. You know, you know you're not just married. You know, you made a covenant. You made an agreement. Are you here? And hopefully you're sticking to your agreement. Hopefully you're being faithful, and hopefully you're walking this thing out correctly. But that relationship you, you takes years to form and build, and it goes, it evolves in different ways. That's exactly the same thing that God is looking for us. That our relationship with God is not just, okay, I go to church, Jesus come into my heart, I am born again, that's it? No, it grows and grows, and you'll go through some stuff in your life that was not fun, and you'll go through some, through some stuff that was very, very hard, but at the end of it, even in those things, you get to know his part. And, be, and pretty soon you begin to realize, hey, you know, I was taught God was mad at me. I was taught God was against me. I was taught that if I did anything wrong, God would strike me down. And you find out, you know what, that's not the God that I've developed a relationship with. Are you still here? Much to the same way, you know, all of us have had some form of experience. Maybe you even had it about this church. That somebody would say, oh, you know, that person is like this and like that, and they're just horrible and they're mean and, you know, I remember all the stories, H and I still laugh about all the stories we used to hear. We haven't heard any lately, maybe it's because I don't live here, or it's just I don't care anymore. <laughs> but, you know, all kinds of funky stuff, right? I mean, I, wasn't, I was dealing drugs, and he was laundering the money, you know? And that's how that's, the church was a front. And then we had an ATM, which is not a bad idea, but we still haven't, had, still haven't got the ATM. Oh, you go to that church, there's an ATM. And you've you got to pay to be there. They charge, I mean, all kinds of, they, we kill chickens. I said, well, we do eat a lot of chicken, but it's usually cooked, you know. Um, and it was on and on and on and on and on. And then people come out and say, huh, I finally decided to go to this church that everybody talks so bad about, and I found out it was what? Nothing like the people said. Well, that, those kind of experiences, you probably had experience about somebody in your life. Somebody said, oh, that person is like this, like this, like this, like this. And they created this monster image, and you were like real weary of this person. But once you actually interacted with that person, you're like, wow, that person is nothing like they told me. You know what? And that's what religion has done to God. Religion has done such a bad, 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 giving God such a bad name. And there's been a lot of bad things that have done in religion. And I'm not going to make excuse. But the bad things that were done in the name of Christianity was just in the name of Christianity. God wasn't involved in any of it. Are you here? There are a lot of bad things done in the name. You know, the Crusades, and even in World War II, you had, you know, they were christening the tanks <laughs> that were going to be used to murder people. I mean, it was crazy, the stuff that, that they, would, they would bring in in the context, you know, the, the great inquisitions that were done in the name of Jesus. All that was horrible, and it was very tragic. But God did not do any of it. And you need to settle that because that's what, you know, people that want to confront you about your Christianity say, well, you know, what about what Christians did in the Middle Ages? What about, well, whatever they did, they did wrong because God, that's not the God I know. The God I know is not killing people. The God I know is not 
blessing, you know, murders and, and it's not blessing this and it's not blessing that. So that begins to build into this just very simple statement, but, you know, that's, it's all in there, that there is something more than the human sensory experience. And we can't just base all of our spirituality on our five senses, what you hear, what you, you know, so forth and so on. And the last line of this is, and that greater whole of which we are part is divine in nature. So not only do we recognize that there is something greater, we begin to recognize that it's actually divine. In other words, it's not just something else is out there. No, this, whatever else is out there is greater than anything else. Are you here? That's the divine aspect. Well, now we come down to our human form. Oh, there's my clicker. I finally saw it. Maybe I can click now, RJ. <laughs> it's like, there it is. Okay. So let's, let's get right into it, and let's start with this one. <laughs> Remember, I, I come from a context that I grew up in a Christian school, went to church every day of my life till I could make a choice not to when I was about 13 or 14. But here's something that I've heard preached forever. And a lot of times it was just, they would stop. And they would stop halfway through the verse and then for an hour talk about how what a sinner you were. Anybody remember that? So they would come, you know, and, and say, all have sinned and all have are short of the glory of God. And they would stop. And they would preach in an hour about how sinful and how bad you are and how, you know, you better get your stuff right because you're a sinner. Anybody heard something like that? And they would just beat you down with this idea you're a sinner, and then we'd hear little things. Well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace, and that's even a wrong statement. Let me clear that one up. How many have heard that one? We're just old sinners saved by grace. Well, there's truth in there, but there's a big miss. Well, let me, now that we use fake news, let's just use fake news. This is a big thing now. The problem with saying I'm an old sinner and I'm saved by grace is that you cannot be an old sinner, and be saved by grace at the same time. You're either a sinner, location, everybody say location, or you are saved by grace. You can't be both. Because now you're saying, Jesus, you're in my heart, but I'm still full of sin. And that's what we're going to break out this morning. And if it takes me to next week, I'll take it to next week. But I want you to understand this. So Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, all have sin. Everybody say all. That's all of us, right? We all have sin. I know you guys look hyper-holy this morning, but no, you all have sinned. Some of you probably did. No, I'm just going to say maybe last night, right? But here's the thing. Here's the next all that a lot of people don't preach on. And say the next one. All. Say all. So all have sinned, but guess what? All are justified. So once again, let's take our time on this. You're a sinner you should go to hell. That's what the Bible says. You should not have a redemption. You were born in sin, even though it wasn't your fault. You, you have the Adamic nature or Adam's nature. You are sin, and maybe you grow up and you don't have a basis, and you just do all kinds of crazy stuff, and you know, you're evil and whatever. You're a sinner. All have sinned. But then, that's why I'm saying you can't say, I'm an old sinner saved by grace. You can't do that because you're a sinner. Everybody say location. I want you to get this because it's going to be big in the message. So now the, the second part that nobody spends a lot of time preaching, it says comma, and all, the same all, 
you, me, all of us, now we've been justified freely by his grace. So this is my location. I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. But hey, there's a cross. There's a Jesus. Jesus, I repent because he paid the price. He became sin. He took care of it. And the acceptance of Christ puts you in this place where now you are justified. In other words, the devil will come and say to God, hey, he has to go to hell because he's a sinner. And God will say, no, he cannot go to hell because he made a choice to bring Jesus as his justifier. And in my books, he's not a sinner anymore. He's justified. He was a sinner. Justice came. He's no longer a sinner. Once again, say location. See how sin, I learned this from, from Dennis Burke many, many years ago. He said sin is a location. First time I heard it, I said, hmm. And then I began to study it out, study it out, and he was completely right. So now you are justified. Now question, do Christians sin? Yes, just go ahead and say yes. If you, if you say no, you're sinning by lying. All right, you're already sinning by lying. So Christians, yes, there are thousands and thousands of opportunities where we're going to mess it up, even in the place of justification. Does that make you a sinner? I'll show you in the Bible. It says you, that doesn't make you a sinner. That makes you, you've caused an action primarily based on your flesh. And guess what? First John says, when you sin, loose paraphrase, just go with me. He, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. So in this place of justification, yes, I miss the mark, because sin really means missing the mark. Actually, the, the correct translation is, would say there's a target, and we're aiming at the bullseye of that target, and we shoot an arrow, or we shoot a gun, and we're hitting off. That is what sin is, that you're missing the mark. So as a believer, I have this mark, which is called Jesus, and his example, and I got mad about something, or I talked wrong to my wife, or I kicked my dog, which I don't do that, I'm just saying, you know, or I did something worse, or I lied, or I cheated. Does that put me back into not being born again? No. It puts you simply in a position, you're still going to heaven, you're still heaven bound, because the, the fact that you're aware of it, come on, church, the fact that you're aware that you missed it, it tells you that you're a born-again child of God. Think about it. How many people out there, they'll do stuff, they don't think about it. You know, they'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll cuss, they'll jump around and sleep with everybody they can, and they have no context. But now you brought Jesus, and guess what? You remember I told you it's a triune being? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now you got the Holy Spirit scratching at your heart saying, dude, you missed it. Dude, you missed it. Anybody? Come on, just raise your hand. It could be a very little light thing. Dude, you missed it. Now it's up to you to say, oh, Holy Spirit, shut up. Or you know what, sir? Yes, I'm right. You're right. You go to God, Lord, I repent. All, everything I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a scripture right now. I'm just kind of introducing it. So now you're in this position saying, okay, I'm born again, I'm still justified, but I'm no longer a sinner. I sin, but sin is not the, where I live anymore. And I think that is one of the biggest keys to understanding spirituality, because I don't want to say everyone here, but I can tell you in my life, I grew up with so much condemnation that I still have to deal with it. 
Amen? You know, you're watching something on TV and you didn't switch it, you know, fast enough. Or you're watching a movie, you know, or something and something, and pretty soon instead of just saying, well, you know, I shouldn't have watched that, you, now you're condemned. Or you get mad at somebody. Amen? Or you have a Karen moment. Anybody? I like that new thing, Karen. That's that thing in my house now. We're going to go all Karen on them, right? And um, you realize that you could have behaved better. But that realization didn't come because you, you, you know, you're all self-aware. Yes, you are self-aware, but that realization came because the Holy Spirit told you. And the fact that the Holy Spirit spoke to you should tell you that you are a born-again child of God. Because people that aren't born again don't have the voice of the Holy Ghost. I mean, all this is in the Scripture. So let's, let's go in. So... All have sinned, yes, but all can be justified. So how are we justified? Right there, by his grace. Simple as that. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. In other words, all have sinned and all can be justified. That doesn't mean all are justified because there's still one decision you need to make. And that is to say, Jesus, here's my life. With all my imperfections. Because, you know, religion has a way of telling people, Oh, you got to clean up your act before you can come to church. Right? See, that was my idea of God. I had so branded in my heart that God was out there to punish me. And I, I was trying to figure out why he hadn't punished me while I was a sinner. But then I was convinced that if I ever gave my life to God, I'm talking, I was completely convinced, even into my teens, early 20s, I was completely convinced that I ever, if I ever came back to God, because I was so far from God, I was running from God, but I figured, man, before he even has any dealing with me, he's going to have to give me a royal spanking. I mean, that's the idea I had. So there was a kind of a fear, even, even though I know I needed God desperately because my life was a wreck, there was a fear that coming back might even be painful. Now, you might have not dealt with that thought process, but I think a lot of people do deal with that. That's that you know, I said it, I think, two weeks ago. You know, you, you invite somebody to church, and they'll say, ha, 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 if I go, the church will burn down. You've heard it. You might have said it. Well, you're here in a dimper now. Look at there. Why? That is that concept. That church is for the holy. Church is for the good. Church is for the perfect. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus, I came for the sick. Church is for the sick. So what is our sickness? Sin. That's it. You know, sin is a problem of everything from Genesis chapter 2, and, well, Genesis chapter 3, actually. That's the problem. All the bad came in because somebody transgressed against God. So every evil in the world comes, the root of it is sin, and sin meaning that you decided to make your choice of the flesh versus the suggestion of the Holy Spirit. That, you know, I'm, I'm going all the way back to Genesis 1. So like I said, this is a huge subject, and I don't know if we can, how much we can cover. But here's my point. Grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So now we have to have an understanding of what grace is. And grace is, um, you know, you can define it a lot of ways, and you could do a six-week series just on grace, and maybe we should. But grace, the, the best definition I can give you the word grace is simply unmerited favor. That's it. Unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You're not that good. You're not that good looking either. 
You can't even do that many good acts. You can go out there, well, I'm just going to do good acts all day. Well, the Bible says your, your best acts are still filthy rags compared to Jesus. Because, I mean, it's kind of brutal, but what is he saying? Because not one of us is qualified to take the cross for anybody else. The only one that was qualified was Jesus because he was what? Sinless. Are you all still with me? Are you all tracking? Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. I see some eyes going like, you all look like newborn puppies right now. They're trying to keep your eyes open. I tell you, don't stay up too late on Saturday night. You'll fall asleep in church. All right, let's keep going. Let's look at Numbers 5. Just I want to put one little thing. I know this is under the law. We're not under the law. But it's just a very simple statement that I thought was very good. I, I found this scripture a couple days ago, kind of by accident. Well, it wasn't an accident. I believe the Holy Spirit helped me find it. I, you know, I've never seen it. I've read the book of Numbers, but it just, you, know, you know how it goes. The Holy Spirit shows you some things. And it says, tell the people of Israel, I'll just tell the people of Hebronville, when a man or a woman commits sin, look at, look at this definition. I like this one. The person has broken trust with God. And the last phrase is guilty. But I think I want to back up to the previous phrase. So sin now gives me an idea that we broke trust. Well, who's trusting who? God is trusting you. God trusts you. Still here? And here's what religion has done. Religion has done some harm to us because religion, and by the way, when I say religion, I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a spirit. Religion says you're never going to be good enough. Right? So just keep trying. You've got to come to church. You've got to pray. You've got to pay your tithes. Hey, come on, man. You're never going to be good enough. That's what religion says. God says, I trust you. Imagine that. There's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. I, I, I don't remember where it's at. I kind of want to say where it's at, but I'll probably mess it up, so I'll just tell you what it says. It says that God sings songs over you. Isn't that powerful? God sings songs. God loves you. The, the, the plan of redemption was not, remember this. I want to say this carefully because I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but the plan of redemption was not see how many people we can keep out. The plan of redemption was to see how many people we can get in. God did not make this. Do you don't think God knows how messed up you are? <laughs> he knows how messed up we all are. And in spite of that, he still chose to give us his son, Jesus. He knew what he was coming for. And I think Jesus gave us a prime example by the bunch that he picked to be his disciples. They were all messed up. They all had issues. And he chose them to start the church. Imagine that. He didn't go to the synagogue to find the holy ones. He went down to the dirty streets and the docks and picked some of the lowest people you could imagine to start his church. Well, that's a prime example of what he's still doing today. Amen. So we could spend a lot of time on talking about this broken trust with God is, but I like the, 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 the other side of it. You can't break trust unless you've had trust. Are you still with me? So I like the idea that God trusts me. God trusts me. You know, one of the things I tell all our leadership, 
When I appoint somebody to leadership in, in, in our church or any of our campuses, obviously I've been watching them, I've been tracking them, I'm seeing what they're made out of, you know, what, how they handle difficult things, how they handle pressure. But I tell them this. I said, once I assign you as a leader, I even trust you to make mistakes. That, because that's on me, right? I don't expect you to be absolutely perfect. I trust you as a leader, but even if you, even if you mess it up, I still trust you. Because we'll get through it. And I think God, that is the heart of God. God, do you think God doesn't know your life? He knows exactly what you're going to do in the next 10 minutes, in the next hour, in the next 10 years. And he knows all the situations you're going to get involved in. His desire is for you to be so connected to the Holy Spirit that you can make some good decisions here and there. But he knows and he chose to trust you even with all that. Come on, church. I'm trying to help you to get past this, this, this thing called condemnation, guilt, and shame. Because that's really what we need to talk about this morning. Because you talk about, well, I want to be spiritual. Yeah, we are spiritual. Develop the fruit of the Spirit. But at the same time as you're developing the fruit of the Spirit, make sure you find yourself and begin to see yourself as the righteous of God in Christ and not some old sinner that's, you know, always tracking with sin, 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 sin. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord praise this morning. There's, you know, I want to say this very carefully, and please don't misunderstand it. There's an organization that I think has done a lot of good for a lot of people, but we disagree on one little point, and that is, and it used to be a Christian organization, but then they had to get government funding, so they had to stop being all Christian-y, and that's AA, you know what I'm talking about, and of course they have the NA and all the other ones, but uh, AA, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, like I said, they've done a lot of good for a lot of people, so I will never, ever, ever knock them. But there's one little point that I, that I and, and their 12-step program is, is great, and they still say, even though they can't say God, they say there's a supreme being. Of course there's a supreme being because without him you can't do it. Amen? Trust me, I know that. But the one little point that I disagree on is that every meeting you go to, you have to stand up and say, my name is whatever, and I'm an alcoholic. Even if you never, ever drink again. And that's fine. I mean, if it's helping somebody. But the problem with me is that you got this dark cloud, H, all the time on you. So even though you never, ever, ever, ever have another drink of your life, you're always going to walk around. In other words, the Christian version would be, well, you know, I'm, I'm with Jesus, and I'm justified, but I'm just a sinner. My name is Kelvin, and I'm a sinner. Well, you got to break. That's condemnation. And again, I'm not talking about AA. Like I said, if it's helping people, God bless them. But I'm saying it's hard to to move into the new creation reality, because that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Pay attention. All old things have passed away. Listen, hey, that's a really exclamation from the Greek language. Everything has become new. Glory to God, right? So how can you become this new creation while you're carrying the yoke and the label of sinner on you? You can't. Again, we, we have to address the fact that Christians sin. We're going to get to that. But the first thing we've got to get out of your way is you're not a sinner anymore. You were justified. Now you are righteous. But you're still flesh. Right? And it's our stinking thinking and our stinking flesh that gets us in trouble. All right, let's keep going. Romans 6. Now we're going to get into some meat. Romans 6. I wouldn't like to read the whole chapter, but it would take us days so I recommend, if you're really tracking on this, read Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. Don't stop. 
you know, because a chapter and verse, just read it like one big statement, and you're really going to get an understanding of what we're talking about. But I'm going to do what I can this morning. So Romans 6, Paul is addressing really this idea of, of being a sinner. Remember that other scripture was in Romans, right? Romans 3. All have sinned, and all are justified. So Paul takes a lot of time breaking this thing down. This is Passion Translation. Verse 6 says, Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now forever deprived of its power? What is he talking about? He's talking about the identity of sin. He's talking about that concept of saying, I am a sinner. So Paul is, you know, that's a whole lot, you know, like I said, you've got to read the whole chapter. you actually got to read the whole book. But you really get to flow with it. Then he tells you why. He says, Could, can it be any clearer that our former identity and forever deprived of its power? And here he tells you why. For we are co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, I like this one. A dead person is incapable of sinning. Well, yeah, I mean, you're dead, you're, you're dead, right? And what is, is, what is he referring to? Well, Pastor, that means I have to die so I can stop sinning? No, that means you have to die to yourself. You know what you're doing this morning by getting up early and getting ready and showing up for church on a Sunday? You crucified your flesh. Some of you say, I know it was painful, Pastor. You don't know I can't get up in the, I'm not a morning person. If you're not a morning person, you go to Laredo, our service starts at 2. They got it nice over there, right? They can wake up at 12. And No, no, you crucified your flesh. When you're in a situation in your marriage or in a relationship and there's been tension and you had a big fight or there's been a big problem and you choose to be the bigger person even though it's not your fault and you choose to say, forgive me, guess what happened? You're just being spiritual now, right? There's something that, that's tweaked inside of you that's not the same person. So a dead person is incapable of sinning. And what is he, he's meaning is when you finally get to the point that you're dead to your flesh. Now this process, let me tell you right now, it's going to go on until Jesus comes or we go by the way of the grave. This is never going to stop. And nowadays, my gosh, you can't hardly watch any news without getting mad. This world, I mean, Amer I don't know about the world, but America has gone completely insane. <laughs> okay, you guys don't agree with it. Yeah, I don't know. The country that I see on, that is represented, and, and by the way, you know what, the, the country that I see represented on TV, it's not the real USA. You know, they're trying to tag all of us as being some kind of, you know, racial this and all that, and that, that's not the people I know. The people I know, we don't have those issues. Amen? You're white, you're brown, you're black, you're blue, you're red. What difference does it make? I was, I was teaching my, my grandson this year. I said, you know, why? you know why that's the dumbest thing to judge somebody by the color of their skin? Because everybody bleeds red. Huh? Everybody bleeds red. But you know, out there, if you listen to the narrative, it sounds like this whole nation is... We're not. And then all the crazy... So I'm not going to get on any political agenda, but... You've got to be careful because there's a lot of things out there that can irritate you. You get angry. You might call it righteous anger, call it whatever, but at some point you might gravitate to a place of sin even with that. Amen? 
And what he is saying is this, obviously, everybody say obviously, <laughs> a dead person can't sin. So now we're going to have to deal with, what does he mean by this, right? So let, let's keep reading. So in verse 12, I, I skipped a bunch of verses, as you can see, but I'm going to try to pull out the, the meat that I want to get to in, in Romans 6. He said, sin, pay attention now, is a dethroned monarch. Remember I told you it was a location? Watch. So you must no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life, controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So there's a place, if I can say it spiritually speaking, a, a place where sin has this voice, which is really Satan, right? I mean, he's, he's the root of this. But he says, you know, Paul is saying, hey, guess what, sin? It no longer reigns over you. You're no longer its subject. You change your address. You used to be under this kingdom. You met Jesus. You got a different address. So that kingdom of sin has no authority over you. Amen. And I tell people, and that's what gets people in trouble, when you travel overseas, when you go to a different country, you should spend some time learning a little bit about the culture, and especially a little time learning about the laws of that land. Because you can get in a lot of trouble really quick if you don't know what you're doing. One place you don't want to get in trouble at all is Cuba. Because you probably never come back to America, ever. That's just how it works, right? So what are you saying? I'm learning that, you know, when I'm in America, I have certain rights and privileges. But when I go to a different location, those rights and privileges don't apply. Well, when you were a sinner, you were under this control where you didn't really have any control over your flesh. You just did whatever felt good, whatever somebody told you, or you got angry, you got upset. But then Jesus came, and Jesus really, the Bible says, he translated you into the kingdom of his divine son. So you've been translated into another government, and you're not part of that kingdom anymore. So the first thing, especially if you're here this morning watching me online or you listen to the podcast later on, if you're dealing with stuff in your life, the best thing you can do, and I'm talking about sin, we're not going to get out and say, okay, let's, you know, let me tell everybody, tell me your darkest secrets. No, everybody probably has some dark secrets, and probably some of us have stuff that you, that you don't want nobody to know, and so forth and so on. But my point of it is, God already knows. So the best, you know, if, the only, if you can't trust anybody in your life, you can't trust him. But the first healing process of getting past any addiction or anything, any immorality, any sin, anything, you know, whatever you want to call it, I'm not going to give you a list, but you know the Holy Spirit's healing, is to recognize, to say, no, 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 that is part of that kingdom. And I'm no longer part of that. So in this kingdom, I have an issue, but the Holy Spirit and God are going to help me with this. And I'll show you towards the end of the message some of this. So let's keep reading. So then he says, I like the, the passion just re reads so cool. Verse 13 says, so then, refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, in other words, this is what you should be doing. Because, you know, that's what happens. The call. The call. Let's do this. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced. When I first got born again, I'm talking the next day and the next few days. It was ridiculous. Now, most of you know my story. I lived a very riotous life from the age of 14 to the age of 26. And it included every form of addiction you can imagine and all that kind of stuff. But I remember the day that I, was, I had my experience in September of 1992 with God. I was completely cleared. You know, everything was broken out of my life. 
I was so free. The next day, this happened on a Sunday. This is Monday morning. Watch this. I'm sitting in my house, minding my own little business, reading my Bible, excited about my new life, excited about what God had done. And I hear a car honk. Beep, beep. And I go outside, and it was one of my buddies that I used to run with. Amen? The guy couldn't walk because he, you know, anyway. And, and he pulls up, and I'm like, I go out and say, hey, what's up? And I look down, and he's got a plate. And for all the young people here, you're going to get to explain that one. But he's got all the lines cut. That's all I'm going to say. I'm like, how do you drive like this, right? I mean, they're like one after another. He's like, orale. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. First thing I thought, H, I was like, where were you like a few days ago when I really needed it, right? I couldn't even find you if I went looking for you, man. And I just, you know, I didn't know what to do. My reaction was, and actually I lied. I'm being honest with you. I didn't know what to do. I was like, and he goes like, what? And I'm like, uh, I can't do it. He said, why? Because uh, I went to the doctor. I didn't know what to say. He looked at me like, whatever. And he right in front of me, you know, he did his thing. And then he took off. Well, the next day, here comes another guy. <laughs> Not the same one, but, you know, a different thing. Let me just say, this time it was organic. That's all I'm going to say. But it was the same thing. And it was like I told him the same story. And then a few days later, another guy shows up, a guy that I, that I had owed money to, and he had made a big stink out of it. And we had gotten, it was a, I'm not going to tell you the story, but it became a big issue. And I thought that guy would never, ever talk to me again. And he came up and said, hey, you want some? And I said, no. And I said, this one's super easy. I don't have any money. He said, oh, that's okay. You can pay me later. I'm like, what? I mean, what is this? It was so pathetically funny. But, you know, I, even in my innocence, I could, see the, I could see the game. I could see the movement. That was Satan trying to catch me back. Because I had, I had left his location. So he's doing everything in his power because here's the thing that people don't understand. You can make decisions. Imagine that. You can make a decision to do it or not to do it. You still have your willpower. You still have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will give you some time to make the decision. But if you make the bad decision, the Holy Spirit still loves you, and the, God still loves you, and you're probably still going to heaven, but you just put a whole bunch of pain in your life. Because every decision has consequences. Y'all still here? That doesn't mean God doesn't love you. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. That just means if you made a bad decision, Right? You're back in the dominion of sin. Sin didn't go get you. You move back. You're still not a sinner because you're still saved. Get this. This is key that you understand. But you've made a decision to come back under that control. But the whole time, the Holy Spirit's giving you a way out. We'll get to that in a few moments. But here's what I want you to understand. You have to see sin for what it's for. The purpose of sin very simple purpose. Separate you from God. To separate you from life. To separate you from peace. To separate you from, from hope. That's all it is. Because, you know, I used to think this way. I mean, I still think this way, but I had that aha moment. I said, you know, if you could feel the way you feel after you sin, if you could feel that before you sin, come on, somebody. You would never do it, right? 
but, but the devils make sure he do, you don't get that feeling before, but he is quick to condemn you to pieces right after you do it. Come on, you guys, I know, Lord, I'm sorry, they're very holy in this church. Maybe, maybe it's the online church that needs to hear this message. You guys just radiate holiness today. No, you know I'm talking to you. Holy Spirit's talking to all of us. We need to understand what is the expectation of a Christian. I tell people all the time, Christianity, you don't have to be one. You don't have to be a Christian if you don't want to. But if you choose Christianity, guess what? There are borders. There are things that are allowed and things that are not allowed. And the reason they're not allowed is not so you don't have any fun. The reason they're all not allowed is because God doesn't want you to kill yourself. Because he loves you. And sin will kill you. Sin will kill you. It, it, there's a paycheck coming. Come on. It's called wages. Wages. The wages of sin is death. And it doesn't mean ceasing to exist. It means living a life separated from God. And I don't know if, if you can live. I don't know. I've been walking with God so many years, almost 30 years of my life. I don't know what it would be like to wake up one morning and not walk with him. Just the fact that I know that he's around, even when I'm having a bad day, even when I, when I need some prayer and even when I need some help, I know that God is still with me. Imagine, I, mean, I don't know what the feeling would be like. Even when I was, I say, a heathen from hell, I still had a praying wife and a praying mama. I guess they're, they're really the reason that I'm alive today. Amen. Keep going. So he says, verse 13, so then refuse to answer it's call. You know what the call comes in? It usually comes like those people that I told you. It's not the devil showing up saying, I'm going to make you sin, HH. It's usually somebody irritated you. And now you're going to have to answer the call. Do I go off on this person with anger and a tongue lashing like they've never had before? Or do I answer the call and say, no, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Do I answer the call to click on that little thing on the internet that I'm not supposed to? Or do I answer the call to say, no, Holy Spirit, I won't click on it today. See, this has nothing to do with how much God loves you. God still loves you. But completely based on you. But there will be a call to sin. And there will be a call to righteousness. So then refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool for wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live now for his pleasure, ready to be used for his noble purpose. Remember this. Look at your neighbor and say, remember this. Sin, say it with me, will not conquer you. Isn't that cool? Sin will not conquer you, for God already has. In other words, where is your loyalty? Which army did you sign up with? Because here's the thing about walking with God and walking away from sin or walking in sin and walking away from God, however you want to see it, you're going to serve somebody. You will become a servant either of righteousness or you will become a servant of sin. Are you still with me? All right. Remember this, sin will not conquer you for God already has. You're not governed by law but governed by the reign of the grace of God. Verse 15, what are we to do then? 
This is the hyper-grace message, which I totally disagree with. It's out there, and, and hopefully you're not listening to it. But there's some people who say, oh, just do whatever you want to. You're still going to go to heaven. I'm like, there's a lot of people that, that I'm really concerned about that might actually completely miss heaven because of bad teaching. It's out there. You know, it's just out there. You know, you can Google it, you'll find out. It's called the hyper-grace message. Well, Paul, you know, somebody says, is that a new message? No, it's always been around. Paul addressed it over 2,000 years ago. And this is what he says. What are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content? since there's no law to condemn us anymore? And Paul says, no, what a terrible thought. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? Grace is not a ticket to sin. And most Christians don't need a ticket to sin. They just do whatever they want to, right? Here's a choice. Who are you surrendering yourself to? Because spirituality is about really, it's not about what people say, oh, look at them, they're in church. It's about you, yourself, and God, and having a conversation to really come before Almighty God when you're dealing with all those things that you know, that you know, that you shouldn't be doing, instead of beating yourself up saying, God, I surrender to you and to you only. That is a first step to conquering sin. Where is your loyalty? Where is your loyalty? You know, we, we all have bad days. We all have times that you don't know how many times, you know, maybe, I've never thought, I've never ever thought of quitting God, but I've always, I've thought many times of quitting this. Because some, some of you people can rub me the wrong way. No, I'm saying, not saying. No, don't take that back. But you know, it, sometimes you're like, Lord, but I go back to one little simple thing. I said, there is no way I'm going to betray you because you've been faithful to me. My wife and I, we've been married over 35 years. Why is the marriage still alive? We still laugh. We still have a good time. Because I made a decision 35 years ago. I'll make a promise I'm going to keep it. We made the same decision. Here we are, 35 years later, we haven't killed each other. Glory to God, right? Yeah, because if you get too Mexican, yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't fight like white people. You know, we, don't, we don't take timeouts. We take knockouts. No sagan, you know what I'm talking about. No, you know what it is? It's a covenant. And has our marriage been under pressure? Many times. Has the D word got thrown around? Oh, yeah, it has. Years and years ago, but it didn't happen because the covenant was greater. The agreement I had made sense. Well, guess what? When Jesus delivered me in September of 1992, and we were just so broken, everything, and he began to get involved in our life, and I look back almost 30 years of following him, he's been so good to us. Come on, somebody. He's been so gracious. He's been good to us, or let me put it this way, he's been good to me in spite of me. And there's just no way I'm going to backslide to nothing. Are you with me? Do I still need help? I need a lot of help. So do you. Don't look at me with those judging eyes. I know. Oh, we all need help. But grace, the same grace that God gave me, gives me so much freedom, but also gives me a freedom to choose if I don't want to be there. And that's where you've got to understand there's no such thing as hyper-grace. Grace is God's favor over you. But you know what the Bible also says? You can frustrate it. 
Amen? And then we hear little, I don't know if I want to go down this path, but I'll just touch it briefly, hopefully. You hear little things like saved by grace. Yes, we're saved by grace. We also hear, you know, oh, he's fallen from grace. Somebody fell from grace. You know, preacher's preaching, and, you know, he steals the money, runs off with somebody else's wife with him. He says, oh, he fell from grace. No, he didn't fall from grace. He made a decision. Right? He made a decision. Grace is still available for him. Grace never moved. Grace never was shaken because of his attitude. He made a choice to step out of it. Are you still with me? God doesn't push people out, like, oh, you're, you're grace. No, no, you're not in grace anymore. I'm falling. <laughs> no, you make choices. But, th- but choose carefully. Choose carefully. For you surrender yourself to become a servant bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin... It will become your master, and it will own you and reward you with death. In no uncertain terms, and that doesn't mean you, you're, you're ceasing to exist. Death, remember, Bible death is separation from God. And that, that's probably one of the scariest things you can think of. And I don't believe in fear and all that stuff. But to think about, wake up one morning and God has departed your life? What are you going to do, right? So he's saying... If you choose to love sin, it will become your master and it will own you and reward you with death. If you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. So now we are faced with another decision. Sin now becomes a choice. Do I live in it? Remember I told you to say location? Or don't, I don't live there anymore. So I'm not an old sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. Grace showed up. I'm the righteous of God. And when I miss it, I don't run from God. i got to run really fast towards him. Are you with me? All right, let's keep going. Got to hurry up because my clock's running out. Now we get to the wonderful, wonderful chapter of Romans 8. Got to be one of my favorite chapters. But it's hard to study Romans 8 unless you're reading Romans 6, Romans 7, and Romans 8. Because Romans 7, and I started to put all the scriptures up, but it would have taken us forever to finish it. You really find the struggle in Paul's heart. And he's trying to define sin, and, and maybe we should, if we, if we talk about this next week, maybe we should bring it up. But you should read the, the last part of Romans 7, because you see the struggle in, in Paul's heart. It says, the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I'm supposed to do, I can't get to. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can free me from this situation where I can't do something, and then it flows into this. I'm missing a few scriptures there, so don't judge me yet. But then he says, wait a minute, but there is no condemnation. Everybody say, no condemnation. You see, here's the thing. God is not the one condemning you. Say, Pastor, so how come I always feel guilty? Let me help you, because you are. You guys didn't expect that one, right? We all are guilty. The reason you feel guilty is because you sin. Come on, just say amen. But the guilt of your sin and the shame of your sin and the condemnation of the sin is coming from Satan. It's not coming from God. Because he already said there's grace. And grace is free of condemnation. Grace is free of guilt. God was so overly, you know, I don't use the word concern because it refers to worry, but he was so overly aware of this that he made a choice. And this one I'm still trying to, I guess you can't really figure out, you just got to accept it. He may, you know, God knows everything, right? Omnipresent. 
everywhere all the time. He knows the future, the present, the past. He knows everything. But he made a choice in his own self to say, I choose to remember your sins no more. And that to me, I, I can't really get my head around it, but watch how this works. Let's, let's play this out. And I guess, you know, like I said, I'm not going to rush this because some of you really need to get this. So there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, all right? So what happens when you messed up? Let's say you got in a big fight with your wife and you told her some ugly things about her mom. Or it was the other way. Because, you know, when we run out of weapons, we go after other people, right? So you go to God and you say, Lord, forgive me because of what I said to my wife and what I said about La Suegra and all that. God says, okay, it's done. All right? So you're good. We're good. We're good, God. But then you wake up the next morning, you still feel bad about it. What is that now? That's guilt. Yes? Also with me? You already repented. You already did the Bible thing. You said, Lord, forgive me. And you even bought some flowers for your wife. Well, I don't know if you went that far, but this way I got some chocolates or something. I mean, you did the right thing. But you still have the guilt. And with guilt, you have the shame because they go to hand in hand, right? And because there's guilt and shame, now you feel condemned. So you go to God again, and you say, Lord, he says, yes, I need you to forgive me. And he says, for what? Well, you know, a couple days ago, I had this big fight with my wife, and I da 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 And God says, um, I don't remember that. Come on, Lord. I told you yesterday. I don't remember it. Tell me something I don't know. Well, I'm telling you, he says, no, I don't remember it. Because he made a choice to remember your sins no more. So there's no way the guilt is coming from God. That's what I want you to grab onto. Because guilt is big. And Christians, I, ha I hate to say it because I, I live this way, this thing was so in embedded in me from, ch from childhood that it seems like it always hovers on you. Can, can I, if you relate to this, just raise your hand. Let me know I'm preaching to the right people. Thank you. It just kind of relate. It just kind of hovers like a cloud of guilt and a cloud of condemnation, and it never kind of never leaves you. It kind of never leaves you. Just you know, and you've already. So God, when He says, "I choose to remember your sins no more," He made that choice because when you repent, He doesn't look at you as you. He looks through you. Through, he's got to look at Jesus to look at you. And when He sees Jesus, all He sees is redemption. So you come up with your old sins. God says, well, I don't remember what you're talking about, and is there something we need to talk about that is current? So, Pastor, okay, I get it. So how do I, how do I get rid of the guilt? And how do I get rid of the condemnation? Well, we'll get to that, but listen to this principle. I'm not going to read it all because the clock is leaving me and we still have communion. But he says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Then he talks about the law of Moses. I'm going I'm to skip that just because of time. But I want you to go into, the, he sent his son, the second part of that part said, he sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body declared an end of sin's control over us by giving us a son's sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. What was the requirement of the law? You sin, you die. That's the requirement of law. The wages of sin is death. That's the requirement. But Jesus took the death, so that law 
is completely satisfied. In other words, it's completely met. That's all it means. It's no longer on you. So you've got to stop calling yourself an old sinner. Because if you keep calling that, then you are still putting yourself in that place. God's not doing it. I already showed you that the guilt and the condemnation is not coming from God. Because the devil knows, and he knows in his know, sin is there to separate you from God. And if he, can, if he, if he, if he already got you to do an act of unrighteousness, all right, you did it, you stole it, you lied, you did whatever, but you repented of it, then his only second weapon is, now if I can just bury him with guilt, if I can bury him with condemnation, if I can keep this thing fresh in their head, they will be ashamed to go to God. And if they don't go to God, guess what? They don't have any power. And if they don't have any power, then there won't, they won't be a problem for me. That's his whole agenda. So he's keeping Christians eternally condemned. And I'll prove it to you. You come to church, you have a great service, you're excited, you get home, you're still excited, but something happens Sunday night, you get a, you know, I always use a you know, fight or whatever, and then Monday morning, somebody comes up to you and, you and you become aware that this person is just so hungry for Jesus and you have the answer. You relate to this? And you're about to share Jesus and the devil goes like, come on, really? Are you serious? How do you dare think you can talk about Jesus if a couple of days you behave like a complete idiot? I mean, he'll, he'll talk to you in no uncertain terms. He might not use those words, but he'll convince you that you are not qualified. You are an old sinner. Who do you think? You leave that for Pastor Box. No. That's the devil trying to keep you from bringing somebody to Christ. And he's condemning you with your past, and he's condemning you with what you did. But if, I don't care, you know, your past is as old as the moment you say, Jesus, forgive me. That's how old your past is. It can be 20 years ago. It can be 20 seconds ago. You have no sinner past if you repented and your voice has to be heard so the devil will try to squelch your voice you know there was you know we've, we've grown a long time but I remember times you know even living in Heavenville you know my wife and I would have an, uh, an argument because you know she hasn't got the revelation of submit and all that which pray for her and I would get there and I still I still had an office that was before it was taken over by Miss Yanis for her children's church program. I used to have an office there. And I would sit there and I'm like, Lord, I'm not preaching today. Sunday morning. I'm not going up there. I feel like, I feel like this. I feel like a sinner. I've done this. I've done that. And one time I remember I was putting my little tantrum there. And God says, who do you think you are? And I said, what? And then he answered, this is not about you. And I'm like, Lord, I told my wife this, and I'm mad, and I have to get up there and act like I'm all it. He said, this is not about you. And I realized what he was saying. He's saying, the devil's about to stop a big, big thing, because, you know, if you repented, we're done. Now, if I have guilt and condemnation, that's on me. Are you here? That's not on God. And what I'm trying to really drive the point in this morning is that guilt and condemnation does not come from God. That's the one you got to understand. It, guilt and condemnation does not come from God. Guilt and condemnation, is, so if you have it, it's not from him. And it's the only, the only other source is Satan. So you begin to see that, you know, that, that's what Paul was saying. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. But the key of this 
you know, it's in verse 3, well, the second part, he says, he sent his own son in a body like the body of a sinner, and in that body God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving son a sacrifice for his sin. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. We no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So when I say, are you spiritual? One of the things that we're learning this morning, you know, we've learned about developing the fruit of the spirit, but what we're working on this morning is when you miss it, where do you go? Do you go to grace or do you go right back to condemnation? That's all, you know, that's really is what he's saying, you know, though, you know, who, who is dominating? Because sinful nature thinks about sinful things. And what I'm saying, it says, is that us, Pastor? No. I don't believe it's anybody that's listening to me because the fact that you're listening to me already tells me that you're hungry for something else. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we're hungry for something else. We're hungry for something greater than us. Remember my very first definition this morning? So sinful nature, if, if you don't have any remorse about sinning in different scenarios, the question would be, are you really born again, <laughs> Right? But if you have a conscience, a sin conscience, not as a sinner, but a sin conscience that you're aware that you missed it, that tells you you're where you're supposed to be. And now you can address it to God. Because the big word here, and you'll see it in a few moments, is repent. And the word repent doesn't have, actually has nothing to do with saying I'm sorry. It has everything with, to do with changing your ways. The Greek definition of the word repent is exactly that. It means to turn. You're walking this way, 180 degrees. Now I'm turning this way. That's all it means. It doesn't say anything about being sorry. Actually, the word sorry is not even a good word. It means sorrow. When you're saying I'm sorry, you're saying I'm full of sorrow. No, we're not full of sorrow. You repent. Does that mean you got it right the first time you repented? No, it might take you a lot of times. How many know what I'm talking about? But it's just like anything else. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. The more you practice walking in love, the better you get at walking in love. The more you practice being in joy, the better you get at joy. The more you practice being at peace, the better you get at peace. The more you practice not stirring up trouble, the less trouble you stir up, right? So those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. So if you wake up in the mornings and you have God thoughts, they don't have to be all that spiritual, but you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're aware of God. You make, you're making decisions throughout your day not to lie, not to cheat, not to be an idiot. You know, all those thoughts tell me that you're where you're supposed to be. You're not a sinner anymore. You don't live there anymore. Let's try to get to something. All right. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature, here's a big one, can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Say amen to that. You are not controlled by it. Quit giving, him the, quit giving the devil the control of your life. You're not in control of it, but you have to do an exchange you are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, 
And remember, those who don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And that brings another question. So who has the Spirit of God? Does that mean, is this the same thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit? No, it's not the same thing. I believe in the filling of the Holy Spirit, and we're probably going to do a series this year at some point, because we believe that, I believe the whole Bible. But you cannot accept Jesus without accepting the Spirit of God. Are you with me? Because, you know, that's a big war between people like, you know, I grew up Baptist and the Pentecostals, you know, because Pentecostals say, well, the Baptists, they're not, they're not born again because they don't speak in tongues. And I said, no, that, that, that's not what it means. You cannot be saved without the Spirit of God. Speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a, that's a different experience. And it's important, and you should desire that. But the salvation, you don't just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, what saves you is the Spirit of God, right? Jesus is not physically going to come into your life. What enters into your life is his Spirit. Come on, people. And that experience, and I've said it so many times in this church, but for those, the sake of those that haven't heard it, is as simple as saying, all this wonderful sound system that we have, you know, until it's power, plugged into a power source, it, it does not work. You know, you can have thousands of dollars worth of audio and it comes down to a dollar and a half plug. If that dollar and a half plug is not feeding it life, it doesn't matter how much you spend on your audio, you need the life source. Do you agree with that? That's exactly what the Spirit of God does. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you, you know, you've been unplugged, you're dead. You have no life source in you. And because you have no life source, you really don't have a lot of control over even your own life. That's why I don't judge people. And some people say, oh, look at all these people. What do you expect a sinner to do? They're supposed to sin. Because they don't have no, no strength. They have no reason why to behave, if I may say so. But when you plug in, you say, Jesus, come into my life, the Spirit of God ignites your spiritual life. Now you, have a, you used to have a conscience as a sinner, but by plugging into him, now you have a conscience of life. You know, I'm not going to say more. there's some good people all around, but most people, before they meet Jesus, they're not very generous people. You know, they'll help here and there, but they're, not, they're just packing all their money and putting it away for themselves. And, but something happens when you get born again. After a while, you begin to realize that there's something bigger around you, that you want to help people out. You know, it's like I'm saying the wonderful things that, and I, I have a, actually I have a praise report. I'll save it to the end from Cuba. So, you know, why would some of you... They've never been to Cuba. Some of you probably will never go. Hopefully, you all go. But why would you even send money to that country? Huh? Why would you even feel bad? There's, there's starving people all over the world. Why the Cubans? Are you with me? You know why? Because something inside of you has caused compassion now. You're not the same person. Now you're willing to take your hard-earned money and put it in a country into a people that you never know. Because something inside of you has changed. And that's that conscience. Conscience. You had a sin conscience. Okay. Yes, we did. And now we have a God conscience. And even while we miss it, and even while we walk and mess up and do the wrong things, that conscience of God keeps you in the right place. Not to condemn you, but to remind you that you were bought with the price of blood. Glory to God. And you think God's going to let you go that easy? No. He laid his son down for you. He bled his son out for you. And here's a realization for all of us. If we were the only person on the planet, 
Only one. And the only way God could get to you was to do exactly the same thing. He would do exactly the same thing, even if it was just for one person. He did it for everybody that, in history that would have attached himself to it, but that's the love that God had. So with that conscience, when I miss it, I can gravitate towards the loving God and not say, oh man, I missed it, because the condemnation, the guilt and the shame are going to try to make that gap bigger. That's why, you know, you mess up. What's the first thing? that I've heard this. I heard it from people I've heard it in the last few weeks. Well, you know, I don't think I can go to church anymore. I'm like, why? Well, you know, I screwed up. Okay. Tell me something I don't know. In other words, they have a conscience say, oh, no, God is so holy and God is so good and I can't even go to church because I messed up. Really? This is what the church is for. Maybe there's that one crazy person that's completely healthy and checks themselves in a hospital. But hospitals are for sick people. You don't walk into an ER. What's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm wonderful. Why are you here? I don't know. I just want to, I want to rest. That's not the place you want to rest. Go to Cancun, right? Don't, don't, don't go rest in a hospital. He says, Pastor, that's stupid. Well, that's what we're doing with a sin conscience. Instead of gravitating to the one that loved you, gravitating to the one that laid his life down for you, gravitating to the one that even in spite of you has blessed you, we tend to gravitate to the one that has been destroying our life all these years. That's the guilt. That's the condemnation. That's the shame. Amen? Verse 9, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Every one of you that has made Jesus the Lord of their life has the Spirit of God living in you. Every one of you. Nothing to do with speaking in tongues or not. It just means the Spirit of God is in you. And he's there for you. And he loves you. And the more you grow in the love, the more control you're going to have. Oh, there's a lot. Let me, let me skip some of this. Let, let's, let's get this. I need to land this. My time's done. This is a quick, if you want to screenshot it or write them down, do it. But I think all of us should do this. It's assessing your spiritual health. So take a moment to assess your own spiritual health. And what I was doing when I was studying this, you know, I was preparing this list. And I'm like, wow, I need to go back and circle some of these. Because it seems kind of like the fruit of the spirit. You develop some areas, and I'll give you the, the spiritually weak one in a moment. But if somebody that's spiritual, spiritually healthy, these things begin to pop out, which is basically the fruit of the Spirit. You have hope. You have a positive outlook. You have the acceptance of death, meaning you're not really afraid of dying. You, you, you can forgive. You have your own self-expression. You have a commitment. You have found meaning and purpose, you know, in what you do. You have clear values that before you didn't have values. I'm not going to spend time on that one, but you have a sense of worth. You have peace. You, you enjoy worship, you enjoy prayer, you enjoy meditation on the things of God. It's not like people are f twisting your arm. You know, you gravitate on your own to listen to God or to listen to a sermon or to listen to a praise song. So that's a spiritual, healthy outlook. That means, you know, in, in my, my way, says, how do you define if somebody's spiritual? Well, th those would be some of the things you can find in your life. And again, you know, I think most of them I can qualify. But when I discovered as I was preparing this, I said, okay, let's, let's look at the negative side. What is the negative side of this? And on this one, I was like, okay, thank you, Holy Spirit, because I found areas where I need more development, and this one would be this. So what, what would be spirit, spiritually weak person? What is somebody that seems like they're not spiritual? Well, they're going to have emptiness inside of them. They're going to have anxiety. They're going to have a loss of meaning. In other words, you're like, oh, whatever. They're going to have a lot of self-judgment self-condemnation, which is really the devil's condemnation, apathy, 
You don't want to do nothing. You don't want to go nowhere. You have these long, dry spells, meaning you're not always on fire. And by the way, guess what? We all go through some of this. Don't be discouraged. Just get through it, right? Don't take a dry spell and give up on God. Get through the desert. I've gone through these myself. You have conflicting values. In other words, you know what, God, what the expectation of God is, but you're still choosing to do, you're making bad decisions. You're needing to improve myself. You're always concerned about this. And here's another one. You're always worried, you're always annoyed, or you're always acting in haste. So those, you know, this is just a list I came up with. It's not a, this is the only golden list. You know, I'm sure we could add things to this list. But it's just an idea of where are we spiritually. The person that makes that judgment is you. Amen. That's not Pastor Box's call. That's not, your, you know, your wife's call. That's not anybody else's call. You become self-aware of what spirituality is, and you begin to notice some of these things. And I can tell you, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've gone through a lot of these. I felt the emptiness. I felt the anxiety. I felt the dry spells. Are you kidding me? I've gone through some of those. I felt the apathy. I felt the self-judgment and self-condemnation. I felt all these things. And it's not right. In other words, when you, when you see it, you should take a moment and pause and say, God, why am I feeling this? And the answer is very simple. We're, we're almost getting to where we need to be. Acts 3.19. Repent. There it is once again. Repent. In other words, change direction. You know, you're feeling apathy. Change direction. You're feeling loneliness. Change direction. You're feeling, you know, loss of purpose and meaning. Find it. Change direction. Do something in your life that promotes that. Repent and then turn to God. Pay attention. So that your sins may be wiped out. I like this one. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If you look at the Amplified Bible of that, it says times of recovering from the effects of heat. And we know exactly in South Texas what that feels like, right? You're working outside, 105 degrees, it's been brutal. You finally get to your, your truck, it's air-conditioned, or you have a big, you know, glass of iced tea or something. That's what it means. It means sin has been on you like this heat wave, and, you know, you don't get a break, and you're this, but all of a sudden you say, you know what, I'm going to repent. I'm not going that, down that path. And your sins are cleared up, and God blows his fresh, fresh wind on you, and you get it back. Amen? I love that scripture. Last scripture, I like this one, because this is, the, this is the answer to the whole message. Direct my footsteps according to your word, Lord. Let no sin rule over me, Psalm 119, verse 133. The word, everybody say the word. Say it like you mean it. The word. That's all you need, the word. This is a word church that means... The word says something, we try the best. Direct my footsteps according to your word. When you find yourself in a place where sin is being dominated, don't condemn yourself, don't beat up yourself, don't leave the church for God's sake. What you do is you find a scripture that supports what you're going through. And you say, that's my promise. And you get that bulldog faith, you grab onto that promise, and I'm not letting go till I get my joy back. I'm not letting go till this, this attitude in my life leaves me or this immorality leaves me or whatever I'm dealing with leaves me. The word will heal you. The same word that says by the stripes of Jesus I am healed, it also says you can have the mind of Christ. That's another message for another time, but it starts right here, amen? I need to quit right there. We do have communion. I hope and I believe, and I'm praying that this message has helped you.
We all are spiritual people. We all are spiritual people. Jesus' life made you spiritual. If you're here this morning, if you're watching online, we're going to take communion as we do every first Sunday of the month. And those watching online, I'll give you a few moments to go to your kitchen, get something that represents the body and the bread. But I want you to take communion with this in mind. And if you've been dealing with condemnation, guilt, and shame, seal it today in the life of God. Ushers, you may minister to the people as I, as I begin to close this. So the first thing I want you to do is, if you're watching me online, if you're in the building, you don't know Jesus, you've never given your life to him, just pray this prayer with me. Mean it before you take communion, because this is the only requirement you need for communion. Amen? Say this with me. Everybody online, church, you repeat with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you with no excuses. I give you my life. I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Today, I will no longer walk under condemnation, guilt, or shame. I will only walk under the convincing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant it, guess what? You're qualified. Religion has done a lot of damage even in this. I know this is a, you want to call it a sacrament, whatever you want to call it, tradition, but it's a representation of what Jesus did. And I want to encourage you this morning, take communion, and I always tell people, bring something to the table. Bring something to the communion table and say, Lord, you know, if you're dealing with sin in your life, if you're dealing with something that you know is not right, this is your opportunity. I could tell you stories and stories and stories about how my wife and I dealt with things over the communion table. So just bring it. And let's also believe that this month of May is going to be over the top, a blessed, blessed month. I'll wait till the ushers are finished. So I'm going to pray a little prayer. You do your own little prayer. Bring something to the table, and then we'll take communion. Father, thank you, Lord, for the message this morning. Thank you that we are saved by grace. Thank you, Lord, that we're no longer sinners, that we understand that sin is a location, and we've been translated into your kingdom. And Father, as people are presenting things at the communion table, from attitudes to dark things to maybe just a breakthrough in their life, I'm in agreement that they will leave this building being bigger and better than they were when they came in. But Father, we're all on this journey to try to be like you, and not one of us has attained it, and maybe not one of us will attain it till we see you face to face, but we will stay pointed. And we will promise, we promise God to continue to serve you because you have been so faithful to us. You have been so gracious to us. And we love you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Verse 23, I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is a New Testament in my blood. This do you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
Father, we thank you that we are the body of Christ. And we thank you, Lord, as we're getting to halfway through this year almost, that it continues to grow and be a blessing. And the month of May will be blessed in Jesus' name. All right, ushers, you may minister back to the people. So I was going to share with you briefly, um, maybe next week I'll prepare it a little more. But as you know, Cuba was under severe attack. It's still under severe attack. And we've rallied. In the, in the month of April, we sent um, actually close to $3,000. Glory to God. Say amen. Come on, let's give the Lord praise. And I'll, I'll share with you guys the pictures next week. But they're really wonderful to see the pictures. There's a picture of the hogs that he bought. Complete hogs, Freddie. I mean, slabs of meat. They, they were able to find over 400 pounds of rice and oil. And because, you know, what I told Pastor Yoel, because we were trying to figure out, can we send food? Can we do this? And all our options were done, except the best option, which is called faith in God. And I told Yoel, I said, here's what we're going to do, Yoel. We're going to send the money, but we're going to believe God that God will direct your steps. And you're going to find what you need. And that's what's been happening. He said, somebody called me from, it was like two and a half hour drive. He said, all of this, by the way, is black market. This is all under, under you know, you, you don't go to the stores. Somebody called me. They said they had 300 pounds of rice. And he said, I'll take it all. And the guy said, oh, but you haven't even asked me the price. He says, I, I don't, I'll take it all. Because you know how it is, everyone's a haggle and everything. He said, no, just, just have it ready. So he went and brought, and then he found somebody else that's willing to sell two hogs, living hogs. Some of the pictures might gross you out because they have like the big old hog, on, dead hog on the slab. And, well, in South Texas, that doesn't gross you out. But um, my point of it is, faith without works is dead, right? But pay attention. The work was we raised some money. We didn't even raise it. It was kind of like the women's ministry got together, and, and they, sent, they came up with a you know, really, really decent amount. I believe it was $1,200. What was it, Yanni's? $1,200, right? And then, you know, people in this church were very generous. We were able to have another, send another 1200 previous to that. And he's been directed, and, the, and he's making these packages with meat and everything, and it's such a blessing. So, again, you know, thank you for doing that. You know, they're still, yeah, give the Lord praise. Um, when we say that little statement, we don't just put that just kind of as a cute reminder, but it, I, I believe it's a, I really mean it. Thank you for your generosity, because you are making a difference. Amen? Uh, they also had some videos that I wanted to show you, but also, I'll put some of this together next week. They're having church at the farm that you guys helped purchase. Completely illegal, because they're not supposed to have church, but, you know, they don't care. It's awesome to see them out there, because nobody out there really bothers them, but they're gathering out there, they're having praise and worship. And that property that God, God would only know, right, what that property would turn into when we bought it. It's, it's creating food. Now it's creating a place of worship. I'm just telling you, I'm excited. You know, usually the reports from Cuba are like, okay, we've got to pray through this, pray through that. This week was like one of those really good ones, like you felt good about it, right? So thank you all for your giving. And so you want to, you know, that's what I'm saying. When you have that connection with God, all this stuff comes almost naturally, right? You, you don't sit there. 
you know, hopefully you don't feel like this church ever beats you up for an offering, but we will never going to hide that God is a God of prosperity. That, that would be, to do that would be shameful to God because the same blood of Jesus that healed your body is the same blood that will get you out of poverty and lack. It's the same thing. You know, God, you don't think God forgot about the money part? He's, I want you to be spiritual, but I need you broke. No. <laughs> he covered it all. But he covered it all for you can be a blessing. So once again, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for what you're doing. Instructions are on the screen. There's an envelope next to you if you need to give your online giving or your paper giving. But you are making a difference. So I was really excited. We have, um, I really don't know, church announcements, nobody told me, so I guess Kathy can come next week. And... <laughs> Ladies' Fellowship. Okay. There it is.